five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We're here. Thanks for being here. Thank you for waiting. I apologize for the elongated delay. Um, yeah, so I had an issue with with Zoom. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to belabor the point too much because it's not really all that relevant to what we're going to talk about today. Other people have bigger problems than uh, the snafu in my billing with Zoom. So. Um, but I am grateful to be here. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for waiting. You're tuned in now to another edition of 15 Minutes of Flame. If you're listening to the podcast side of things, thanks for being here. And the podcast is really growing, I have to say. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons why the podcast is growing has to do with the fact that uh, we have Russ Winter on. And then I put that podcast up on the uh, Russ Winter, well, I put it up on the site and uh, Russ put it on his site. So I, I, I got some, I got some new listeners as a result of that, which is cool. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, the podcast, we're, we're holding steady at 42 subscribers. I was up to 56 subscribers, went down to about 26. So I think I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Um, at the beginning of the day or whenever they're trying to listen to the podcast. But, you know, we've been doing it now for, let's see, when was the first? February 16th was the first day I posted this. Uh, the uh, I got involved with syndicating the podcast. And we're, we're certainly growing. We've had uh, 3,538 downloads. Uh, yesterday, we had uh, 75, which was pretty good, the depths of humanity. So a lot of this is, you know, almost always like content driven, headline driven. If somebody likes a headline, and again, you know, this is how the game works. This is why Q was so popular. And this is why a lot of people jumped on the Q train, because number one, they were, I think, ideologically predisposed to promote the content was, you know, is like a no brainer. And then when they saw all the people coming through the, the front door, it's like, holy shit, you know, let me keep, let me keep going down this path. And that's how the game works, right? It's like a Skinner box. So when, when you see something happening, it's like, there's the cheese. All right, let me go get the cheese. And then one day, guess what? The cheese isn't there for whatever reason. YouTube decides to ban, uh, you know, Q channels, um, you know, the Q drops begin to drop off, whatever, the cheese, the cheese moves. Trump's out of office, the cheese moves. 
So what's the new cheese? Who's the big cheese right now? It, well, ultimately, honestly, it's Elon Musk. That's where the cheese is, right? Everybody's talking Elon Musk. And it's fascinating to watch this whole thing go down. And it's fascinating to watch these people who are liberal and progressive and really thought that Twitter was their, it really, they thought Twitter was their safe space. And it's like, this is our domain. This, this is where we, we rule. And I, you know, I could go on to any number of Twitter feeds who uh, would have a blue check mark next to their name. And in most cases, those people would be quote unquote liberal or progressive or left. And the amount of followers that they would have, it would be enormous. You know, anywhere between like 3,000 followers to 5,000, 16,000. Ron Filipkowski, who is one of the, uh, it's like, there's Ron Filipkowski and then there's like the, this guy Brooklyn Dad or something like that. Like these guys are in the Twitterverse in a way where they are promoted by Twitter. Like they like their values. They like what they're talking about. They like the fact that they are pro the new thing, right? They are pro the new thing. So what Twitter does, it turns up the volume on those people. And what it does to other people, unlike them, is it turns down their volume. Like Jason Whitlock's tweets rarely hit my feed. Rarely. I have to, I have to go to his Twitter feed to see what he's fucking tweeting about. There's a reason for that. Twitter does not want to make Jason Whitlock popular. As much as we despise these tools, they can be extremely powerful. This is the one thing I think we underestimate about social media is how extremely powerful it can be. And the ability to circumnavigate and get around traditional media is mind-blowing. So getting back to the Johnny Depp thing, and we're going to get into the dirty little secret because there's a reason why I have a picture of a softball player on the uh, homepage of the website. We're going to talk about her and we're going to talk about what's going on with so-called COVID. But getting back to the Johnny Depp thing, yesterday was a trip. Yesterday was really a trip. Uh, after the show, I started watching the, the live stream is going on right now. Like I may even drop into the live stream because it's happening right now. And yesterday they had this forensic psychiatrist. Now, as somebody who has spent time with a forensic psychiatrist, I know a little bit about that world and forensic psychiatrists, if they are worth their weight in gold, and by the way, uh, Amber Heard had to spend time with her. She had to spend time with a forensic psychiatrist. That was part of the deal. And the reason why is because the forensic psychiatrist was able to do an assessment on Amber Heard, which includes a, a number of tests and batteries that they use to determine what a person is you know, what's beneath the hood, right? Like what makes them tick? And particularly in cases of 
like, you know, what, what's happening there now between the two of them and also custody, which is a big deal. And usually what happens with a forensic psychiatrist is that people will have to submit based on some agreement that's laid out by court. And, and, and as a result of that, uh, you know, the forensic psychiatrist is doing exactly what this woman is doing and is essentially representing the legal system in that process. So anytime you sit down with a forensic psychiatrist, what they're doing is they're, they're recording your thoughts, your ideas, your feelings, all those things to be used at a future date. And it's one of those things where anything that you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Now, what Amber Heard's lawyer tried to do from the jump was to discredit this psychiatric, uh, this forensic psychiatrist. And she really hammered her. And I think the woman did a pretty good job with standing up. She had to get through um, the cross-examination so that Depp and his lawyers could get into the real nuts and bolts of Amber Heard's crazy. Um, I was sent a video yesterday by this guy who was talking about this one piece that was associated with the trial. And, the, and it was Johnny Depp saying that when he would come home from work, the whole idea of Johnny Depp coming home from work is actually an interesting idea in and of itself. Like, what does Johnny Depp do at work? By the way, he's one of the, I guess this is Hollywood, unless you're Mel Gibson and you're filling the air and you're tired by yourself. Um, Hollywood has, it's like, if you're a star, you have a, a small little solar system around you. Like you're the sun and all these other people are, are, are planets in your orbit. And they can be security, they can be personal assistants, they can be housekeepers. So all those people existed in Johnny Depp's world and still do. And if, he, if you can afford it, why not? You get to employ people, you have to pay them a salary, they can help you out. I see nothing wrong with it, right? It's not like, oh, well, they're insulating him from the, in some cases that's true. I guess the most obvious and perhaps most egregious case would be the Memphis Mafia with, with Elvis Presley. And he, he employed like 10, 11 guys all at the same time. And they'd all show up at the house and do this and do that and try to help Elvis out. And Elvis would send them on errands and do stupid shit. And, you know, some, sometimes they would, they would try to, uh, you know, um, assuage Priscilla Presley and, you know, she would come down the stairs and, you know, fits of tears and crying. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll listen to you. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk to Elvis. And, I mean, they, that, they performed those kinds of roles and services, right, for Elvis. He had a lot of them. I mean, that's probably the most famous one is the Memphis Mafia. But anyway, Johnny Depp's got these people around him, you know, who are doing these things. And it's clear in this trial that it's fairly numerous. But one of the things that he's never had was he's never had the care and attention from a woman in his life that apparently Amber Heard gave him. I got to be mindful of the time because I, I need to make sure that I get all the information about the show that I really want to get into today and not ramble too much.
But one of the things that he would do, again, coming home from work, whatever that, whatever that is, whatever Johnny does, he, I mean, I mean, I guess maybe work would be looking at screenplays, talking to producers, because if he's shooting a film, there's, there's a pretty good chance that he's not shooting that film in LA and there's probably some location shooting and, and location uh, work that he's doing. So it's not just coming home from, you know, a day at the office. But anyway, when he comes, when he comes home or when he came home, Amber Heard would have him sit down and she would take off his boots. And then she would bring him a glass of wine. Apparently, according to Johnny Depp, this had never happened before. Vanessa Paradis, a strong, liberated French woman, never did that. I find that really odd. Now, that said, I can think of one person in one occasion where that actually took place in my life. Here, let me take your boots off. Cool. I like it. All right. I'm not used to it. Okay. Now, this video was setting this up because Amber Heard theoretically was love bombing Johnny Depp and that people who are narcissistic and ultimately will turn on you set this trap by love bombing you. Like you're, you will be seduced into whatever they're doing. And that seduction is something that ultimately you begin to realize, or at least you think you realize that you can't live without, right? You can't live without that thing because you've never had that thing before. And, and this, this is something that's, you know, we all have to, we all have to ask ourselves this question. Have you ever been in a relationship with a person whose sole goal was to make you the center of that relationship, right? Like their sole goal was to completely serve you and your purpose and your raison d'etre, right? Have you ever, has anybody ever been in a relationship like that? Even if it was like for a temporary space, maybe three months, six months, and the fact of the matter is, the answer to that would be almost unequivocally no. And there's a reason why. The reason why is that, first of all, most people are incapable of actually doing that with another person. Second of all, the person receiving that, it's they're almost incapable of receiving it, number one. And number two, if they do receive it, what are the terms and conditions of the reception? which is what Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were going through. At least Johnny Depp was. And once he broke the terms and conditions, the spell was broken. And that took place when one day he took his boots off by himself. I know it sounds nutty, but it's true. And Amber Heard got cross with him and said, oh, that's my job. You don't do that. And something fundamentally changed, I think, in the relationship at that point. Like Johnny Depp just by the mere fact that he was removing his boots was asserting his independence. And theoretically what Amber Heard was doing was creating 
a high level of dependence. That's what she was doing. She wanted to make Johnny Depp completely dependent upon her. her. Now, she might have some of that just built into her. Like she might have some of that built into her, but it also became something that drew him in and then created a much deeper uh, web and that dependence. Getting back to the idea that a person can be there completely for you and with as much uh, unconditional love as a result of that, he's got to be unconditional with it. It's, it's almost impossible to experience uh, and to be able to work with it in a way that is uh, deeply reciprocal. Because the other thing too, is that the person that's receiving the uh, unconditional love, attention, support, all those things, right? The person that's doing that, if it's really going to be healthy, they have to be willing to do the same thing for the other person, right? And when you have that, when you have two people that are operating at that level, then you have the foundation, the basis of a deeply profound, loving and uh, transformative relationship. And then what happens is that, you know, people are tested when they're in that space. They're tested with things like possession and jealousy and yeah, so when Amber Heard goes off and has an affair with, um, what's his name, James Franco, like Johnny Depp loses his mind. Why did he lose his mind? Because he had been engaged with Amber Heard at a deeply unconditional level. And I don't think Johnny Depp had ever experienced any unconditionality. So that was being taken away from him. And I'm just going to follow up on yesterday's premise that Johnny Depp, I do believe, is suffering from a sickness of his soul. He may, he may have lost his soul somewhere. He may have had it blocked. He may have been cut off from it because these things happen, right? They happen. Like one's access to the divine in their life is it's like an elevator. You know, when you're really in a high space, when you're in the penthouse of the higher mind, things are happening, right? You like you move through life effortlessly. You know, your, 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 uh, your journey through everyday life is a walk of grace in a lot of ways. And not only is it a walk of grace, but you're aware, you're aware of what's going on. You're aware of your place in the universe and that you are a transponder for lack of a better term or a trans transducer um, of this consciousness, right? You're aware of it. You're aware of what's moving through you and flowing through you. And they're in, in the most distilled and perfect place. You're not attached to it, right? You're not attached because once you attach to it, then the thing begins to degrade right? And the aperture begins to close. So non-attachment at a high level can be really, really important. But then you can also go way down to the bottom, way, 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 way down to the bottom of the experience. And you can be in hell. And you can have your light cut off from you. You could have any kind of sense that you're 
in connection with source. And, and again, I'm not going to get into the details. I've been there. I know what that's like. And you don't want to be in that place. It's empty. It's dark. You just don't want to be there. It's it, and a lot of times people will play around with these dark and depressed Gothic states, right? They're, they're, you know, slightly nihilistic in order to kind of get there. It's like, well, when you get there, when you really get there, it is not romantic. Let me tell you. It is not some romantic Kierkegaard nothingness or, um, you know, it's not some romantic existential nothingness. If anything, it's, it's just a complete and utter hell realm. So I do believe that that's what Johnny Depp is experiencing and that ultimately, and I'm going to shift gears here really quickly. Ultimately, Amber Heard is a manifestation of his own process. Like in a lot of ways, Amber Heard doesn't even exist. She is there to create the hell that Johnny Depp is experiencing in his life. Like she is, um, she's Kali Ma, right? That's who Amber Heard is. She's destroying Johnny Depp. But the reason why she's destroying Johnny Depp is because Johnny Depp was already in the process of destroying himself and destroying his relationship with what we would call God, right? I mean, that's really what he, so you, you see him in, and this is, by the way, something that a lot of people in Hollywood and so-called stars have to deal with, right? They don't have to deal with, they choose to deal with it in this way. They will surround themselves with people and those people are there in some ways to play the role of comforter, right? This is what normally God would do. God would play the role of comforter. Let me comfort your spirit. Let me comfort your soul. Let me comfort your everyday walk because you walk in my name, right? I mean, that's how this thing works. But when you're cut off from that, what do you have? Well, you've got these people who play the role of God, but they're not God. They're on your payroll, and there are, there are stories, I mean, I just talked about Elvis a little bit. You know, there are all these stories of people in Hollywood who can hire people to do things for them and to pave their way, to tell them how great they are and to show them some form of everyday kindness and love that they have cut themselves off from. But when the money runs out, when the celebrity runs out, when the status runs out, the people will go away because they're on a payroll. They're not there because... They absolutely love and adore this person and they just want to be there because, you know, by being there, they're going to make this person the best version of themselves. It really doesn't happen. Every now and then it does. And sometimes it can be highly dysfunctional or maybe it's a manifestation of what I was talking about where somebody just wants to give to that person. It's rare though. It's very rare. So again, just to wrap this thing up with uh, Depp and Heard, Going back to yesterday's show, I believe that this is the case, that Johnny Depp is having a, a crisis. He's having a crisis with his soul. And Amber Heard became the explication of that crisis. And everything, all the drinking, all the drugs, massive amounts were done because he, he was either, he couldn't feel or he was in some form of hell. And he was doing all of those things to keep those feelings away, to be able to sleep at night, right? All right.
Anyway, thanks for being here. We got about um, what, 11 minutes, 12 minutes left in the show. So I wanted to cover the thumbnail, the, the, the graphic for today's show. And let me, uh, let me just go there really quickly. So that is a picture of Lauren Bennett. This is Lauren Bennett right here. She was a catcher for James Madison University softball team. She looks like Jen Psaki a little bit, doesn't she? So if you were here, by the way, watching the show, you would be seeing somebody who looks like Jen Psaki. Anyway, um, she was a key player last year because apparently, you know, I know very little about college softball. But apparently, uh, James Madison made a big run at the College Softball World Series. And they're not considered a, uh, uh, an all-star power, right, or World Series college power. So in this world, it was um, a big deal. Lauren Bennett mysteriously died at 20 years old. Let's do this. This is uh, from WSCT. Hopefully I won't get too many pop-ups and blockers. James Madison, university softball player, had just been named player of the week. I think we can rule foul play out here. At least, you know, there was a story a few months ago. Again, a very high-level young college athlete, female, who was a goalie on the Stanford women's soccer team, whom I believe won the NC2A women's soccer tournament, she died. Now, in that story, the, the, the reason for her death was supposedly she had committed suicide, okay? I'm not so sure if that's the case. I could be completely wrong. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at it, but they delayed the, the, um, the reason for the death for a couple of days. It was very mysterious. Well, here we go. This young woman who plays for James Madison University. So James Madison University announced the sudden death of sophomore softball player, Lauren Bennett, Tuesday. Bennett, 20 was described by JMU as a high-achieving member of its softball team and a great ambassador of the athletics program. College athletics is great because of the people with whom we get to interact every day. We are a tight family. We are grateful that Lauren has been part of our JMU athletics community and we'll always consider her to be a Duke. We'll miss her dearly. I mean, what the fuck is that, right? What kind of statement is that? It's kind of like, hey, you were a great player. We'll always remember you. Thanks for coming to our college. And we know that you're transferring to another school. That's really what that statement. Now there could be more pieces to that statement and they just pulled that out. That seems like somebody who is involved in legal and somebody that's involved in um, communications wrote that statement. There's no feeling at all with that statement. She just been named Player of the Week by the Colonial Athletic Conference on Monday. 
player of the week playing at a high level. It's like, not like, Oh, Hey, you know, she's been sick for a couple of weeks. She hasn't been playing her condition degraded. No, she was at an optimal playing performance level player of the week. Okay, here we go. Our thoughts are with her family, her coaches, her teammates, and friends, the rest of our department, staff, and student-athletes, and the entire JMU community. JMU Nation is a close community, and we grieve together. No additional information was provided by JMU on how Bennett died. And you can get a list of uh, services and support for the grieving. Okay. So it's a soporific, right? They're going to give you counseling, which is a soporific. And a soporific is named after a soper, which is a quaalude. So a soporific is something that mellows you out, numbs the pain, takes you out of your personal uh, conflict, right? Whatever personal internal conflict that you have. Do you think we'll ever get any reason as to why she died? The answer to that is no. I don't think they will. They'll just kind of move on. They'll just move on from this event. And they'll have pictures of her at the softball games, right? You know, the players will put her number on their sleeves or something, right? Or they'll have like a, uh, you know, little black eye patch with her number. You know, that's, that's what... The, you know, they'll turn the season into Lauren Bennett. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if I were the team, I would say we're not going to play another fucking game until you tell us what, why she died. That's what I would do. Because we're in this cycle now where all of these young people are dying. And, and, and I don't know a lot. But I bet everything I have that she died because she took a fucking vaccine, okay? That's my, that's my gut instinct. I got a pretty good gut instinct on things. But she died because she took a vaccine. And these deaths are piling up. They are piling up. Now, Fauci has just come out and said that the pandemic is over. He said that. You know why he said that? Because they're getting really fucking close to critical mass. Like the bodies and the stories around what's happening are so close to critical mass at this point that they want this thing to go away. They sold a shit ton of these vaccines. They made a shit ton of money. They infected the populace and took out a lot of people. The majority of the people that they wanted to take out were older voters. I can tell you that right now. They wanted the older voters gone. They did not want those older voters around. Number one, they are a drag on the system. They're paying them social security. They've got pensions. They wanted them gone. Nursing homes became the killing fields in 2020. It's exactly what happened. Andrew, Andrew Cuomo, right? He, the guy was, he was running a death camp. He was running a death camp in upstate New York or in and around New York. And it wasn't just New York. It's all over the country. People not being able to see their parents or their grandparents. And what happened? They exterminated them. Oh, you've got COVID. Let's get you 
Yeah, yeah, you've got COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just tested positive for COVID. Let's get you on the vent. Let's get you on the vent and let's sedate you. And did those people come back? No. You know why? You get somebody on a vent, on a tube, and they're old, and especially if you don't know who the fuck, you know, if they don't know what the fuck they're doing, they're not going to bring them back or they're going to suffer impaired lungs, right? Your lungs rarely come back from being intubated. It can happen. It does happen. You know, humans are quirky that way, but by and large, it doesn't happen. So they wanted to remove as many older voters. They didn't want conservative people around actually going out and voting again. It's like, fuck that. If we have another election, we don't want these people around, even though we know that they can rig elections. But those people are also a drag on the system. Like that is eugenics. Those are death panels. It's exactly what they are. They're death panels. And then they started to go after the young people. And one of the things that I've noticed, I'm just going to be straight up about this, is here in this country, I'm not talking about all the footballers in England that have dropped dead or dropped on the field to play, some of whom are not meeting like a, a, a typical kind of um, demographic. But in this country, United States, mostly what I'm seeing and witnessing are the death of young white people, okay? Uh, it's just a notice. That's not to say that it hasn't happened with other people. There is a basketball player for, what was it, North Carolina State or one of the SEC teams, really good player. Like, he dropped in a game last year. Not the guy from uh, the uh, NC2A tournament who actually did drop during the game, Right. Somebody else, and he's got, it's a heart issue. And this is a guy who's an NBA prospect. He didn't play all year this year, and now he's pondering an insurance buyout. If he takes that insurance buyout, he's not going to be able to play pro, pro, pro basketball. Like, that ends for him, right? So I'm not saying it's specific to one group. Clearly, there are other people. What I'm noticing is that there's more of one group than the other, and that's troubling. That's true. I was, I was in the hospital last night, not me personally for anything that was wrong with me, but a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine in the hospital. Why? He's got a blood clot in his lung. Gee, I wonder how that got there. Now, I don't know what his status is. I didn't ask him. I didn't ask him if he got, got the jab. What I do know is that he got numerous probes up his nose. And you know, when you look at the, the probe, Right, what's on the tip of the probe? You could have mRNA, you could have nano shit. Like, this is gonna jam it up there. You're gonna get it right at the brain blood barrier level. Multiple. He was actually hospitalized uh, in another country for pneumonia. This was last year, right? So he's already had some effects of whatever's going on here. And now he's in the hospital. And the pain in his lung is excruciating. And I've heard this from people. Right. I have heard this, that the pain is so great that it's like somebody is taking a knife and, and just taking it and ripping it through your lung. And again, another friend, the pain for her father who was going through this was so bad and he did not want to be intubated. What did he do? He lived in Oregon. And remember, I said live. He does not live in there anymore. He decided to take the Kravorkian plan and they 
hit him with morphine until he died. He didn't want to live anymore. The pain was too bad. It was too excruciating. Now, I would bet that he probably got vaccinated. You know why? Because number one, it gave him access to do things. That's number one. Number two, when you're older, and, I, and I've seen this with the boomers, and we're about to wind things down here, that the desire and the need to stay alive is paramount. And number three, he trusted Trump. He trusted Trump. All right, I'm going to be back tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being patient. I'm going to try to follow up on Lauren Bennett tomorrow and see what else I can. Uh, we, need, we need to start talking about this now that they're trying to sweep it under the rug. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your patience. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart too stable when it's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. This is Jasper. Finally, bye for now.